Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. morning. All this talk about graduation just got me thinking, I was just so glad to graduate from high school. It's not that I wasn't a good student, I was just kind of busy. And I was thinking about graduations, and I graduated from Bible college, and And uh, some years later, I was graduating from the police academy in Grand Island, Nebraska. And all the police officers from all the communities from around the state would all come to Grand Island, and the academy was there. And um, so you lived right there, and it's way different than what some others have gone through. Um, I lived at the academy for two months, and after two months, there was a graduation. And on graduation night, all of the officers then, in all of our uniforms, I loved a uniform, in all of our uniforms would go up and there was a ceremony and a lot of people there, parents and stuff, and everyone went up and would receive their diploma and and with all dignity walk off the platform with their diploma. Well, when I went up to get my diploma, the instructor who I got to know quite well and we goofed around quite a bit, I walked up to get my diploma, and I reached out, and he held it back. In 1.2 seconds, this dignified officer was on the floor. I had my arms around his leg, and I was begging him for my diploma, and he's trying to get rid of me. I finally got up with all my dignity. I received my diploma and walked off the stage. (laughs) That is true. Let's pray a minute. Father, it's exciting to look into your word this morning. And as we look at this passage, Father, please give us understanding. Help us to see the heart of Paul as he's writing this letter. As he addresses the church about a problem that was there. How much you love us. How much you care for us. So, Father, we just give this hour to you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us this morning, speak to our hearts, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So before ever, before I mention Gwen's name in any illustration, I always have to go to her and get permission. And I did that this week. And I just want to tell you that in November, on one of the days in November, is our anniversary. And we will have been married for 30 years. And I want to tell you that God has blessed me with a great and a beautiful wife. And she has been such a treasure to me, such an encouragement, such a help to me. Over the course of this 30 years, we have done so many projects together. After a couple of years of marriage, we built a house. And and then a few years later, we were going to finish the basement. 
And um, Gwen being the helper that she is, I called on her to help. And we needed to drywall the ceiling. So my dad and I had it figured out that we would hold the drywall up and Gwen would put in some screws enough to hold the drywall. And then I would finish up from there and zip it all in. It seemed like a good plan until we started. So Dad and I got the first sheet of drywall up there and we're holding it. And now it's all up to Gwen to get it screwed up to the ceiling. Well, I missed one thing in this, pro in this project. I didn't explain to Gwen clearly what she needed to do. So as we're holding this drywall up, you know what this is like? You know where this is going? You know, it doesn't take long and I can't hold it anymore. And Gwen's got the drill and the screw. She was doing her best. Here's what I saw, okay? I saw her going up the ladder, and we're doing this. In my head, I saw her drop the screw down the ladder, and here we are. Come on, come on. She's back up the ladder putting it in, struggling because I didn't let her practice or figure it out or check it out first. Come on, come on, Gwen, come on. Well, of course, that really wasn't the encouragement she needed, like, today, anytime, hurry up, hurry up. Okay, so drywall's down. That, that didn't go very good. A little more explanation, all right? Let's try this again. We got the drywall up, and in my mind, I'm still seeing. All right, this isn't going to work. We got to do something else. Do you know that Taylor Rental has a small lift? And you can take that drywall, put it on the lift, you can roll it over to where it needs to go, you crank it up. You get it positioned just right, you crank it up a little bit more, and there it is. And you can go for coffee if you want to before you put a screw in it. <laughs> this at the moment was the greatest invention to me that ever took place. Now I wanna tell you, if you need drywall done, just hire it done, all right? We have done so many projects together. This was, I think, our biggest struggle. I tell you all this to let you know, I am so glad there was another way to hang drywall. Because if we had only one way and had to hang that drywall with us holding it, well, I'd probably be a little beefier by now, but we'd have never made it. We probably would have left that basement unfinished. But we had another choice another way but this morning I want to talk to you about the issue of salvation in Jesus Christ 
And although a lot of things in life you have a second way to do it, when it comes to Jesus, based on the word of God, there is one way only. And that's through him. This morning we're in Galatians chapter 5. I want to read this portion to you. We're going to read verses 2 through 15. If you're able, you may stand for the reading, and we do that out of respect. If you can't stand, you can still respect God by sitting. But I want to read this passage, and then we'll go into some explanation. I love how this starts. If you have King James, it says, Behold. The New Living Translation says, Listen. And then it's got an exclamation mark behind it. So are you ready? Are you ready to listen? Because he's going to tell us something here he wants us to know. This is Paul. Listen. I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ cannot help you. I say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey all of the regulations of the law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ, and you have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly await to receive everything promised us who are right with God, listen, through faith. For when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, it makes no difference to God whether we are circumcised or not circumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. In verse 7, he says, You are getting along so well. Who has interfered with you to hold you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. But it takes only one wrong person among you to infect all the others. A little yeast spreads quickly through the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to bring you back to believing as I do about these things. God will judge that person, whoever it is, who's been troubling you and confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching to you that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why would the Jews be persecuting me? The fact that I'm still being persecuted proves that I am still preaching salvation through the cross of Christ alone. I only wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. For you have been called to live in freedom, not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray a minute. Father, I, I just want to give this to you again. Teach us from this passage. Amen. All right, you may be seated. The first thing that I need to do is, look, I, I've read this passage over and over and over again in the last weeks. And I keep reading, I keep saying, God, what is in this passage for us today? What does this mean to us today? And there's a problem here in the church. And the problem is that Paul had preached 
that you come to Jesus Christ by faith alone and nothing else. And now something has crept into the church where they think that you also have to be circumcised and obey the law. So I want to back up this morning, and I just want to kind of look and say, well, how did we get here? How did we get to this place of even needing salvation? So it's like, how far back do you go? I figure go back to in the beginning. So I want to do that this morning. So our Bible is made up of two books, the Old and the New Testament. That, those two books include 66. Those two divisions have 66 books. Those books are divided into chapters. Those chapters are divided into verses. Now, I'm kind of weird. But when we go back to the beginning, because we're going to talk about the first sin and why we have a need for a Savior, I got to looking, and I had to check. How many of you know how many verses are in the Bible? You didn't know that there were 31,102 verses in the Bible? <laughs> All right. Here, okay, now let me put this out. I, I just love looking at this stuff, all right? How many words are in the shortest verse of the Bible? Two, all right? Jesus wept. How many words are in the longest verse of the Bible? Oh, everybody's memorized the shortest verse. <laughs> the longest verse in the Bible is Esther 8, verse 9. And here's an easy way to remember it, because it has 89 words in one verse all right so just tuck that away in your memory banks and if you've memorized the shortest verse now go ahead and feel free to memorize the longest verse and you'll have it but here's where i was going with this god in the beginning created the heaven and earth god created man god created woman and god placed them in the garden and he told them they could eat of every tree in the garden except for one the tree of knowledge of good and evil now the Bible does not tell us how long of a time frame between don't eat of this tree and the point where they did but God said I give you one command I give you one law do not eat from this tree and man eats from the tree and this brings judgment from God so the reason I, I just want you to get the contrast here 31,102 verses in the Bible how many verses until man sins 62 verses into the story man sins but I want you to hear this. Verse 71, God promises a redeemer. And I read the story and I thought, just think how quickly man sinned, how quickly man disobeyed God, how quickly man fell short of God's demand and had sin. But within 71 verses of the beginning of the story, God promises a redeemer 
And then as the Old Testament continues through the other 30,797 verses, God unveils his story of how that Redeemer would come. And through the Old Testament, through, prof, um, through the prophets, he prophesies and tells some of who this Redeemer would be. In the Old Testament were two huge things for the nation of Israel. Well, the first one was even the beginning of the nation Israel because God went to Abraham and he made a covenant with him and Abraham's an old man and he has no children. And God comes to him and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And you're, you're going to have as many descendants or children as the stars of the sky. And Abraham looks and he says, like, I'm, I'm 90 and I don't have any kids yet. But God made this promise. And part of the God's promise to Abraham was that Abraham would obey him. And God said, part of that obedience is, I want you to show me, and it's a physical thing, I want circumcision will be a sign. And Abraham, you, your descendants, and everyone after you and your nation needs to be circumcised. It was a, a display of obedience to God. Another huge thing for the nation of Israel as they grew um, they'd been captive, they've been delivered, they're in the wilderness. How do you tell a whole story of the Old Testament in a moment here? I'm just trying to give you two things because they come up later. God gives to Moses. He calls Moses up to the mountain, and there's thunder and fire and lightning and a trumpet sounding, and God talks to Moses, and he gives him ten commandments, ten laws for the nation of Israel, and forever law would be something that the nation of Israel would watch for. In fact, over time, um, and I believe the law is not only this Ten Commandments, but all of the commandments God gave them, and eventually, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, was so concerned about obeying the Ten Laws that they formed 613 other laws to surround that so that they wouldn't, so they'd be sure they wouldn't disobey those 10. So their whole life was consumed with being so careful that there's laws upon laws upon laws so they wouldn't disobey, all right? So we come to the New Testament and the Savior, the Redeemer that was promised in verse 71 of this entire book, that Redeemer comes to us at the beginning of the New Testament. And I love how John the Baptist who's running ahead of Jesus, telling that he's coming. It's like, behold, he says, the Lamb of God. You know what the modern translation is? Yes, he's here. Finally, the one that everyone has been talking about, Jesus is here. And you think everyone would be so excited that Jesus, the Redeemer that was promised way back then, that was prophesied through all the Old Testament, Jesus is here and the religious leaders rejected him. And during Jesus' time, he was teaching, preaching, sharing about who God was. In fact, he said, if you want to know who God is, look at me, because I'm the image of the Father. But they couldn't handle it, and they crucified Jesus. Now, here's the question. How are we made right with God? You see, in Galatians they say, it's Jesus. But you also have to have works. 
it's Jesus, but you have to be, look, circumcision was really a whole rule-keeping lifestyle. It was Jesus and rules. I, I think, was it a lot of Jesus and a little rules? There are a lot of rules and you just need a little Jesus. But Paul says, man, I've taught you different. It's only Jesus. And so I want to share with you a little bit this morning exactly what the gospel is. Romans 3, verse 23, says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. From Adam till Mark till you and everyone in between has fallen short or missed the mark of what a holy God requires. And because of that, we're separated from God. Well, let me ask you this. If I've sinned and Jesus is coming to be my Savior, can I be too bad? Can I be un... Can I make up a word? Can I be unsavable? Can I be unredeemable? Look at Romans 3.23 says all of sin, but Romans 3.22 says and we can all be saved in the same way, no matter who we are or what we have done. Who is the worst person in the world you can think of? Okay, be careful now. Who is the worst person in the world right now that you can think of? I know we go back in history and we think of maybe Hitler and the cruelty there. Um, but think of today, the worst person. Could he be reached by the grace of God? Or no matter who you are, let's bring it home, no matter who you are, you know what? I don't know what's in your life. I don't know what you have done. I only know me. And just to be real clear, I'm not going to tell you what I have done, okay? Some of you might think, you don't know my life. You don't know what I have done. You don't know where I've been or what I've said. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus can reach even you. The Bible itself says no matter who you are or what you have done, the grace of God can reach to you. And I would just tell you this. When you're sharing the gospel, you don't have to tell people that they have sinned. If you let them think long enough, they'll, they'll recognize it. Um, I remember, and this, this actually goes back to the 70s, I remember being involved in a jail ministry, and I'm young and aspiring uh, Christian here, and, and I'm going to share the gospel, and I'm talking to this guy who's behind bars, and I'm explaining to him how everyone has sinned, and instead of letting him figure that out for himself, I'm like, well, you probably understand that. Um, <laughs> you're in jail. Um, you don't have to point people's sin out. People recognize sin. 
And here's the problem. The wages of sin is death. And that's not just physical death. It's spiritual death. And spiritual death is a separation from God. We don't even like to mention the word hell. But people, spiritual death is hell. It's darkness and fire and suffering. And as I was studying and considering this, I thought, hell is everything that God isn't. And it'll be a total absence of God. And it will be suffering. You don't go to hell and play cards with your friends and have a good time. Hell is a place of torment. So aren't you glad you came to church this morning? So far I've told you that you're all sinners. And by all rights we deserve hell. Well, Lord bless you. Have a good day. <laughs> but I've got good news for you. Because while I was a sinner, Romans 5, 8, and Dominic already preached it for me this morning, Romans 5, 8 says, but God commanded his love toward us. God demonstrated his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How did God demonstrate his love? He sends Jesus. You know what? I love Gwen. And I demonstrate my love to her. I try to do it every day. In fact, I love her so much that when we remodeled, we tore out an old hutch. And we decided we didn't want that hutch anymore. And we put it in the basement, and we used it for storage. And now that empty space that was there, we need a piece of furniture that goes there. Kind of looked at it, and you know what you call that piece of furniture? A hutch. <laughs> so we brought up the hutch out of the basement that we tore out. I tore all the trim off of it and everything. I'm in the process of rebuilding it, and we're going to put that hutch back there. I tore it out, I put it in the basement, I brought it back up, we're going to paint it, and Gwen, I love you, and I will do that hutch. But even more than that, God loves you so much that the dearest treasure of his heart, his only son, he would give for you to be a sacrifice so that you could again become in a right relationship with him. Well, what happens to my sin? Colossians chapter 2 says, He forgave all our sin. I love the songwriter that says, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. My sin goes to Jesus on the cross. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus takes my sin. In fact, verse 14 in chapter 2 says, He canceled the record that, was contained, that contained the charges against us. He took it and he destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. My sin, my list of sin, gets nailed to the cross of Jesus, and it gets destroyed there. 
And also what that does is the rest, the next verse goes on. And it says, in this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. And he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Listen, not only did he take my sin and take that list and nail it to the cross, he shames the enemy. And he says, you don't have a list anymore. And you can't condemn him anymore. You can't put guilt on him anymore. Because my list of sin is gone. And so when the enemy comes to you and he says, how do you call yourself a Christian? You know what you did. You respond to the enemy this way. Show me the list. Because he hasn't got one. Because God destroyed that list. And when he destroys the list, Colossians verse chapter 1 says, as a result... Now let me back up a little farther. Yet now he brought you back as friends. And he has done this through his death on the cross in his own human body. And as a result, he brought you into the very presence of God. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Because of Jesus... God looks at you as holy and blameless and without a single fault. You know what this does for me? It brings me back to Genesis, the beginning of the book. Because before Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they had perfect fellowship with God and God would come with them to them every day and visit with them and their relationship with with God was perfect and unbroken and the Bible says that because of the blood of Jesus Christ and forgiveness I stand before God as holy and blameless I am right back where Adam was at the beginning of the story I have a perfect blameless relationship with a holy God Am I sinless? No. But how does God look at me? He doesn't look at me as, oh, you're bad. The Bible says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't look at me and that way. God looks at me even as much as I still sin. God looks at me and he sees what Jesus has done in me. And he looks at me and he says, this guy's blameless. But how do I get there? It's by faith. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith. I wrote my own definition for faith this week. It's really theological. I hope it's not deep for you, too deep for you to understand. My definition of faith is hanging it all out there. You know, I could tell you faith, and um, faith would be if, if I were to sit in this chair, it would hold me. I can see it's got four legs. I can see it's going to hold me. Um, I read in the news a while back in England, there's a new swimming pool, and it's made out of glass. And there is a 10-story building on 
this side of the road, over here on this side of the road, and then you have the road, and there's a 10-story building here. The swimming pool is 10 stories up, and it's made out of glass. So when you're swimming in the pool, you're swimming right above the cars. And when you're down here, I actually I think it takes more faith to walk under this swimming pool of glass. It's connected between the, the two 10-story buildings. You're 105 feet up in the air, and you're swimming in a glass swimming pool. Tell you what, you're all in. This takes commitment, and it's by faith that you do that. Another definition of faith is believing God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do. Remember, we did a study, and that was the definition of faith. People, the rest of this verse in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, if you had to pay to get into heaven, well, I wouldn't make it because I don't have a lot. Depends what, what if there was a price tag on it, and I could work? What if it cost $10,000 to get to heaven? I'd work and work and work till I got $10,000, and I could boast that I got to heaven. But the Bible says it's nothing about you. In all the verses we read, it's about what Jesus has done, and by faith I accept that, and it's not anything I have done. Okay, are you ready to start looking at Galatians? <laughs> what happened to Galatians? This brings us right back to Galatians. It's not of works. And the church here, Paul's writing, and he says, People, it's Jesus, and only Jesus. And somehow you started out that way. And now you think that if you throw in, you got to have some circumcision, you got to have law. It's all about you trying to be good enough. It's all about you trying to be um, the achiever. It's all about you trying to be a part of it. And it's none of you. It's by the grace of God and it's by faith that you receive him. And you don't need to be circumcised. You don't need the law. Let me look at the chapter here. And if you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then God can't help you. Listen. You make the choice. Would you believe by faith that Jesus has died for you? That Jesus bears the penalty for your sin and it's nothing of you? Would you hang it all out there for him? That's what he's calling them to do. He says, if you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you have to obey all the regulations of the law. Ten Commandments, all the laws of the old scripture, 613 other laws that they've put in place around those laws, and you have to obey all of them. So to show you how difficult that could be, I thought about having some kids help me up here today. But it would just take too much time. So let, let me say this. Um, let me see where I'm at here. Make sure. <laughs> Notes are just kind of for fun. Um, I was thinking maybe have some kids come up here and if I could get a basketball hoop up here I'd ask someone to try and make some free throws and I would offer a huge bowl of candy if you could make some free throws 
But here's the standard. The world record for free throws, any guesses, is 2,750 in a row. It took 12 hours. So it would be a long service, but um, it took 12 hours. And just for fun, the guy was 71 years old. All right? So I was thinking if we could have somebody shooting baskets over here, and the standard is you have to make 2,750. All right? But that's not the only standard. We have another thing you have to do, too. You have to take an ice cream cone, and you have to stack ice cream scoops on top of it. The record for stacking scoops of ice cream on an ice cream cone is 125. Now, this would have really been a good thing for us to do because after church, we could have had an ice cream social, if you don't mind the ice cream that's been on the floor. Um, And it has to stand there for 10 seconds. So while they're shooting hoops, this one's over here doing ice cream. But then over here, we're going to have someone doing a hula hoop. Now, I'm not good at hula hoop because I go out this way, so that doesn't work as well. You've got to be in this way. And actually, a record for hula hoop comes from an 11-year-old girl. But let me tell you a few things about this. From Detroit, um, 192 revelation, revelations. <laughs> Yeah, we're in church. (laughs) 192 revolutions in one minute while standing on one leg. So, if I were to offer this huge prize, but you have to shoot baskets, you have to do ice cream, and you have to do the hula hoop. In fact, go to YouTube. There's a hula hoop about uh, doing it hanging upside down. There's a trick. Um, so you get the prize. So you may be able to do this. I don't know who, who of you is going to shoot 2,750, but that is a standard. So we're trying to achieve this standard. Or we're trying to achieve the standard of all these scoops of ice cream, or we're trying to achieve this standard. And you know what? There's no way we can achieve that standard. And the Bible says there's no way you can achieve the standard. In fact, you would think I was cruel if I offered this to this, um, because it would be so difficult. The Bible says you can't achieve all the standard of God. He says if you're going to try, if that's your reasoning, you have to obey every rule of God. And if you obey, disobey one, then you fail. So he's saying it's not about the law or circumcision because you can't even do it. Let's continue on here. I got to get a little more of the passage here. Um, You know, from our viewpoint, we think we want to try more. In verse 6, it says, When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, it makes no difference to God whether we're circumcised or not. God's not looking at what you do. God's not looking at your effort. The most important thing is faith. 
People, it's by faith that we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Moving along. Verse 7. Can I do my own translation? Paul says, what happened? Okay, here's, here's what it actually says. You were getting along so well. Who interfered with you? People, what happened? You had the truth. And it goes on to tell us that there were some people within you. And he says, it only takes one wrong person to infect the others. Just like it only takes a little bit of yeast, you know, to raise, make bread, I have no experience there. But what he says is, just one person going around saying, you've got to have Jesus. But what's more important is you've got to have works. Just one person going around saying it's Jesus. Oh, yeah, I agree, it's Jesus. But you also got to be circumcised. You also, listen, we don't, we don't think about circumcision. We don't think about the law, but here's us. Yeah, you got to have Jesus, but you also have to attend church. That's a good thing. But that's not what it is. It's Jesus. You know, you got to have Jesus, but you also can't do some things. Or, or you got to have Jesus, but some people think, well, if I was generous, oh, maybe if I was a, a teacher, oh, maybe if I worked with the youth group, oh, it's Jesus, plus maybe if I helped in the community. And it's none of that. He says, it is Jesus and Jesus alone. And somebody came into your church. Somebody started this thing. Look, if you go back to Galatians 1.14, Paul says, I was the best at keeping rules. Man, I was the rule keeper of all rule keepers of all rule keepers. I was the man. And Paul, by faith now, has put all of that aside. And he says, it's only Jesus and he understands these people, they're struggling, but he says, it is only Jesus. Verse 11. Somebody must have been saying, yeah, but you're still preaching circumcision. Here's his response. If I were still preaching that you have to be circumcised, like some people say I do, why would the Jews be persecuting me? Paul says, I am not preaching that by any means. i got to move along quickly here. Let's do this. Let's go to verse 13. He says, you've been called to live in freedom. The law was not bad. God gave the law. And it showed his holiness. It was a path, a guide to bring men to Christ. It was never meant to be over them. But what happened was the law became so condemning. The law was so judgmental for them. The law was a weight. The law was a burden to them. And Paul writes here and he says, there's not supposed to be a burden on you. You know, back in verse 1, of chapter 5. It says, make sure you stay free and don't get caught up again in the yoke of slavery or the yoke of bondage. And a yoke is something that you attach two animals together to and you're stuck there. You can't get away from it. Paul says, don't go back to that law stuff. 
You're made free. And I think about law. Law never had joy and peace and excitement or any of those qualities with it. Law was always judging and difficult for them because of the, the importance they gave to it and the bondage it put on them. And he says, you've been called to live in freedom. It's like, all right, ask Jesus to be your savior by faith and you can do anything you want to. Isn't that the way it goes? Um, could I ask you just for a minute to use common sense here, okay? Now, I, I don't want to get too political. I know common sense is lacking. Um, it's not a big trait anymore. But I want to ask you this. If someone went off the end of Holland Pier and was drowning, and someone jumped in and rescued them, and they both get up and they dry off, and it's like, wow, that was amazing. Thank you. Do you think that person would go to the end of the pier and jump in again? Not in a heartbeat. And if Jesus has rescued us from the power and the penalty of sin, when he says live in freedom, do you think for a minute that he says you can just go back to what you were? The Bible doesn't tell us anything about that. We have a new relationship with him. And when the Spirit works in our lives and as we read the word of God it says that we've been changed and now we seek to please our father so freedom doesn't mean I can do what I want it's not a freedom to satisfy your sin nature but it's a freedom to serve one another in love people I don't have to come to church I get to come to church I'm no longer bound in any kind of a, 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 a law. I get to serve the Lord. I get to come here and sing praise. I get to come here and enjoy fellowship. It's a freedom that I have. And it's a freedom to serve others. When Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. All right? So I accept Jesus as my Savior. I'm serving the Lord to have that. Now what? He says, you have freedom to love your neighbor as yourself. That means I can want for my neighbor what I want for myself. I want you to have good success. I want you to have clothing. I want you to have food. Um, I want you to have the necessities of life. I want your family to be excess successful. I want you to know Jesus and to walk with him. I want for you what I want for myself. Listen, how do I love a God I cannot see? I told you it's easy, easy to love Gwen. I mean, I, I, I interact with her. I talk with her, which I do with the Father, but I can't see him. Remember Jesus was talking, and he said to um, the leaders, he said, once I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then they said to him, well, when did we see you in prison, hungry, naked, um, cold? And Jesus said, as much as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. So when you help your neighbor, when you help those who are struggling, when you help those who are cold and weak, when you visit those, Jesus says, that's you've done it unto me. 
and we're called to love our neighbor as ourself. Not only is my, my relationship to God by faith, it changes the way I live. Now let me close with this. If God were to say to you, if you were to die today, and God were to say to you, why would I let you into my heaven? I'm going to give you a clue. There's one way. John 3, 16 give God, gives God's part. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay, here's the answer. Now, if he asks you, why would I let you into heaven? It's for whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you trusting in Jesus today? I heard an interview on the news just a couple of weeks ago, and there was a question asked why, why they would be involved and why they were doing what they were doing. And this person said this. He says, when it's all done, I want to ask, did I do a good job? Did I do the right thing? And this person said, I hope I get in. And I thought, you need Jesus. It's only by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus who took my sin and makes possible to restore a right relationship with you. Thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to say to you this morning, if you've never come to a place where you know Jesus as your Savior, I'd be glad if you came and talked to me. You could come talk to any of our staff. The most, most important decision you'll ever make is Jesus. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616 772 4377.